Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Summer Breakfast with Michael Carianas and James Magnuson. Big plan, uh, big plans today, MC, for the show. Brad Fittler, the king yes. of New South Wales, is coming on. Very excited about that one. Uh, I was listening to Sports Day mm. with Matt Rogers and Scott Sattler. This was a little bit wacky from Matt Rogers. Have a listen to this, MC. Billy Slater has announced that he's open to selecting both Caelan Ponga and Reese Walsh for the Maroons this season. I, I, I think... Reese Walsh attacks to the right side way better than the left, mm-hmm. and Caelan Ponga is the opposite. Could you imagine having Caelan Ponga wearing the 13 jersey and just having them both sitting out the back? What? On both sides. I never thought of the 13. I always thought he'd handle centre really well if we, if someone went down the centres, or you know, one will be Valentine Holmes, mm. who primarily plays on the left side. I always thought that he'd probably be a centre or a 14, but I haven't thought about a 13. Now, you know what? In his debut... He went on as a lock. Could you imagine just having those two guys on both sides of the field? You've got Munster on one side, you've got Cherry Evans oh, on the I other, and they've just got their shape set up. And like, because you're always short a man. You're an ideas you got, man. Because you've got the fullback out the back, you've got the fullback defending at the back. Yep. Mate, it's, when I read that, I was just like, oh, New South Wales are in so much trouble. <laughs> uh, tell you what I can imagine. I can imagine being Junior Paulo uh, looking up and going, Oh, yeah. Oh, do I run at Pat Carrigan or do I run at Caelan Ponga? Yeah. The tiny fullback standing in the front line with a history of concussion. Come on. Yeah, I'll tell you who would Come not be on, excited by that is the Newcastle Knights. Yeah. Uh, what, do you, I, what would that. The average lock would make, what, minimum 40 tackles a game. Yeah, if he's playing 80 minutes in Forget origin, about Caelan yeah. Ponga sweeping out the back. Is that dangerous? Yeah, super dangerous. We've have, seen him do it a million times from fullback. And he won't have the ability to do that because he'd be gassed from making – I get the premise, right? I hope because, they do it. I hope because they do it. they do need to find a way. It's a bit like the, the Gold Coast Titans discussion re AJ Brimson and Jaden Campbell last year where they need them both on the field. They need to find a way to get Reese Walsh and Caelan Ponga on the field at the same time. I heard Scott Sutherland mentioned centre. Makes more That's sense. That's a potential, no doubt. Who are their centres this well, last Val, year? Val will be one. Val Holmes will, will be one centre for, for Queensland. And if Selwyn Cobbo is playing centre at Clubland, would he then be the other? Yeah, potentially. Murray Tuolangi is played. I can't for the life of me think, think who, who was, was their year. other centre. Um, but when you when you have... Um, Callum Ponga needs to be in the side. And, I'd put and, Callum Ponga at fullback. I think... At his best and Reese Walsh's best, Caelan Ponga still slightly ahead of Reese Walsh. Hammerso was the other centre. Oh, yeah. you're not moving Hammer or Val. 
No. Let's be honest. So, but I, I get like as as Sats mentioned, he came, did come on at some stage during an Origin um, career and, and played uh, in his debut and played in the back row, and you know he could do that at a pinch. But to start there, I can't see that happening. I can't see that working. But they need to find a way to get him on the ball um, for Queensland because, it, as we saw at the back end of last year, he's one of the most dangerous players in the competition and. You know, the premise is right. If they have Cherry Evans and Munster and Reese Welsh and um, Caelan Ponger and Hammersell and Val Holmes, lots of points there. Yeah, it's a decent side. I'll give them that. It's a decent side. I couldn't, couldn't possibly cop another Queensland win this year, MC. That would kill mm. me. That would absolutely kill me. Andrew from Newcastle says, I think Ponga will play the 13 role for 25 minutes in the second half off the bench. He's done it yeah. before. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh and another number letting us know that the hammer was just enough. Thank yeah. you. Uh, Matty Johns is back yesterday on SEN. He joined the boys uh, for the run home. Let's hear what Matty Johns had to say about the Bulldogs' chances this year. We were just talking about the Bulldogs today. Yep. Um, can you see them improving? I can. I, I, I can see the Bulldogs moving up into the mid-table. I don't know if they'll play finals foot, but it's a little bit... Boy- like, I think, fellas, when a team has been... You know, I've had the foot on the throat from other sides or the top of the head for a while. Once they start to get that winning feeling, you see the confidence start to grow and they really take off. Is mid-table enough for the Bulldogs with the amount of recruitment they've done? I think so because there's still question marks around their halves and they've got no middles. So they're still, like, uh, despite all the recruiting that they've done, they still have some major deficiencies in that roster, I think if they finish middle of the table, well, then you're vying for the top eight. And if they're vying for the top eight, I think that's a successful year for the Bulldogs. Top, I think they've got to be competing for the top eight this year. They have to be in and around the top eight with, let's say, five rounds to go. It has to be on the table. Yeah. Yeah, because I agree. If, yeah. if it's another season that's a write-off by the halfway mark, then... No, it can't be that. They've got, they've got to improve way more than that. I don't have them in my top eight, but... no. You know, if they finish tenth, I think they've had a decent. They've had an okay year, um, and they just need to land. They need to land two signings, the Bulldogs, to complete that roster. They need a middle, a genuine world class middle, and they need a number seven. I agree. All right, MC, you've been talking about players under pressure. We're down to our final team today, the Rabbitohs. Who is the player under pressure at the Rabbitohs this year? Jack Wyden uh, arrives as the guy that is supposed to um, get him into. Well, when they signed him, you know, South Sydney was still in contention for the finals. They'd played in all these prelims in a row and a grand final in a row and hadn't got the job done. He was going to be the guy to move that needle and get the job done for him. Um, he had a poor last season at Canberra. Uh, you know, he he was well down on, on the What do you think that was due to? I just, I don't know. Maybe he was stale. Maybe that, you know, I think the, that Canberra forward pack didn't dominate like we'd seen in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They had uncertainty at fullback. Their number nine's not great. But even when they came good and were winning, well, strung together a heap of wins in a row, it wasn't due to White. No, he had a bad year, yeah. I thought it was a remarkable effort for Canberra to make the finals last year on the back of, you know, White not playing well, their dummy half not offering much, uncertainty around them, the shifting around fullback, Papali, he not at his best. So they did well last year. So, But uh, now it's South Sydney, he arrives to play centre. Um, there's that expectation Definitely. that... He'll he'll start the season he'll start the season at center. well he's suspended for the first couple of games yep. and then he's right for I think it's round three against the Roosters he makes his return Jack Wyden so he'll miss the first couple of games and then um, you know the plan is to play center but obviously you know 
he can easily switch to the halves if the Lockie Ilias situation doesn't work out or they have an injury there um, to, to Cody Walker or Ilias. But, you know, in the uh, at center, um, they've got to find a way to make sure that he's in the game because, you know, when he's out, out wide, you know, he, he could have a tendency to float, but he's played for Australia. He's played for New South Wales at center. I think he'll be a success there. And, and whether he's standards on and, and off the field, like at training, is enough to bring those guys around him up. Because you speak to everyone, even at Canberra last year, like he's a great trainer apparently. And he sets the standards. And, you know, there's been criticisms around Latrell and other guys there at South Sydney for not yep. having those great trips, um, training standards. So I think he'll bring everyone around him up. Um, and I think he'll be a real key sign-in for, for South Sydney those, as they move back to being a top four side. Just on South Sydney, and if they are going to move back to being a top five, there was a lot of unrest towards the back end of last year. Sam Burgess, obviously... Uh, I'm not sure if he walked or if he was pushed out of the club. Bit of both. Bit of both. Uh, and he reportedly had some issues around standards at training mm. and work ethics of some players. Um, all those whispers died down or is there still some talk of unrest? And it's Jason Demetrio's job safe this year. Yeah, uh, there's been no talk of unrest because I think those that disagreed with it are gone now or weren't um, comfortable with the way things were were shaping. There's no doubt that South Sydney imploded last year. One of the most remarkable, you know, we, we talk about the rise of Newcastle. The downfall of South Sydney was was just as Huge. extraordinary. Um, you know, a lot of people, me included, had them the lock for a top four spot last year. And they were tracking that way and then just fell into a heap. And then all the stuff came out of the back end of last year with Sam Burgess walking away. He's now coach at Warrington. John Morris leaving the club. He's now at the West Tigers. So who um, are their assistant coaches this year? Ben Hornby is the, is the senior assistant. Right. Um, Does he come from uh, the Dragons? Yeah, he, he, he's been at South for a while now. Wayne okay. Bennett took him to South Sydney uh, gotcha. when Wayne Bennett gotcha. first went there. So he's been in and around that system. And uh, Joe Callahan, um, is the reserve, who was a reserve grade coach, steps up with John Sutton there um, as yep. well. So they didn't really replace Sam Burgess or, or John Morris. They just shuffled um, people in and around uh, that, that coaching staff set up um, to uh, surround Jason Demetrio. But, um, yeah, he's under pressure. I, you know, he's under pressure. No doubt is he under pressure because if they don't make – that's a top eight – that's a slide that's challenging for grand finals, not to scrape into the finals. Correct. So uh, that roster and, you know, you look at Damien Cook, you look at Cody Walker, they're on the other side of 30 now. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. You know, buzzword, premiership window, is that slowly closing as Walker and Cook – you know, get well into their thirties. Closing for those guys, but I think you know, and Jack Wyden as well is thirty. But I think you know, Latrell, uh, you know, Keon Kalamatangi, Junior Totola, these guys still have Cam Murray, Cam Murray, right? Keon, like these guys have a lot of football left in them. So I think they're they're well set to be a a strong side for years to come. But Cody and Damien Cook, if they look back on their careers and they haven't won a comp, they're going to think of wasted opportunities. Or yeah. missed opportunities, Absolutely. no doubt, because I think they well, they played four prelims in, in and a grand final in a row. Yeah, like, that's a lot. That's a lot of close calls, a lot of uh, you know tough chances there for for South Sydney just to to miss out on winning a, a grand final. But you know, I think they can get back there. But if they don't, Jason Demetrio will be under pressure. Two players that uh, I'd like to hear about. So Lockie Ilias is is he under any pressure? Could Whiten potentially push into five eight Walker mm. to halfback? And Memazoulis. Yeah. So he's signed, I think it was for four years, yeah, I read. Yeah, he got a long-term deal. But he 
cannot get a run in first grade because Damien Cook's there and he's playing 80 minutes. And then it seems their backup op- option is more often than not um, Havili. Havili, yeah. So surely if he's re-signed for four years, part of that conversation must have been that you're going to be playing first grade. Well, I, on the f- on the first point, Lockie Ilias is under pressure, no doubt, because if they don't perform and then the situation and pressure starts to mount on the coach, well, the coach will change things to try and, and shape a victory. And if, they're not, if they start poorly, the microscope will be on Ilias and Jason Demetrio. And the easy shift is is to move wide and back into the halves because they've got Tass as well that's probably out of that first grade side. Yeah. And, and he's a first grader. Yeah. So they can put him back into the centers. So I think that's a, a real option if things don't work out. And then mm. um, the second point around Mamazoulis, well, there's no doubt they've annoyed in him as the club's long-term hooker. How old is he now? He'd be, what, 22? So he's not... You know, he's not young, young. He's, but they've obviously said to him, mate, when Damien, when, when Damien Cook goes, you'll be you'll be our hooker. But is that is there any signs of Damien Cook He's twenty. Th- he just turned 23. 23? He just turned 23. So... Well, Cook's yeah. got this year... Pretty patient. Um, ...on his contract, and then... Cook still played representative football in 23. And, pl- and he can play 80 minutes, Damien Cook. And yeah. as you said... The reason that Havili um, is on the bench is because he can play, you know, that... 13. Yeah, he can play yeah. that middle forward role. He can play proper to pin. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he plays that middle forward role yeah. really well. So um, that's the advantage. Mamazoulis is an out-and-out hooker. He, he can't really play anywhere else. So, But I think you'll see there'll be a gradual introduction of him a bit more this year. Because um, there was a lot of talk about him as a junior. People were talking about, you know, South's got a gun. Yeah. Hooker coming through the grades. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised given the fact that um you know they've shown well they've shown their hand here that they, he's going to be their long term hooker um and you know stay at that club when Damian Cook whose deal expires at the end of next year but probably retires so Cody Walker and Damian Cook have two years left on their deal but you're right Mamazula signed to 2027 um so yeah it's it's an interesting point there where you've got a young guy who's obviously clearly been anointed, ready for first grade, but he's there to bide his time. I think it's it's a great respect for from the club and Mamazoulis to, to reach that agreement because he's re-signed knowing that Cook still has two years left. Yeah, so he'd be 25 by the mm. time he gets his crack. Yeah. And that's if Cook retires. 0457736736, South Sydney fans. What are your expectations of this season? And what do you expect from Jack Whiten, the man under pressure, as MC said, uh, at South Sydney. Anthony from Greystains. They love to have a crack at the Bulldogs when I'm on MC. Don't get sucked into any Bulldog success. Their four pack is terrible. They're still short two boppers and an actual halfback. Sorry, Missile. Well, you agree yeah, with that. I agree. That's what yeah, I said. Two, and, two and, you, and you agreed with it's that. Not their whole, it's not their whole four pack because part of that four pack is Reed Money, Kikau, Preston, yeah. and probably Curran. I'd say at 13. Yeah. That's not bad. It's just their props. Max King, yeah, for the first half of last year, was outstanding. If, I think he probably suffered from burnout because he was pretty much the only middle having a crack. If Max King is your bench rotation middle, that's great. If he's your starting yeah. premier prop, that's not ideal. Well, what you need, right, is that play one front rower, mm. that big, big body who takes the kickoff, who takes the dropouts, who sets the platform for the set. Yeah. Max King off the back of that guy is awesome. That's what, yeah. Max King's can ball play. Yeah. He's got an offload. He's got a little bit of footwork. He's, yeah, he's, definitely he's a, a very talented grader. player. Yeah, yeah, he's a first grade, but he's not elite. But who's that 120 kilo body yeah. that takes that first impact? Which was supposed to be Tavita, which was supposed to be Luke Thompson. And this year, it's either going to be 
uh, Max King or Liam Knight. Mm. That's that's your options. That's pretty much it. Slim pickings. Yeah, slim pickings. Well, talented first graders, but not your play one guy. Yeah. We need a big boy. We need a thicky. Uh, <laughs> Texas on the Edgewater Homes text line 0457 736 736. Edgewater Homes Mortgage Fund. Get up to $1,500 a month off your home loan. T's and C's apply. That text line 0457 736 736. And a reminder that Brydens Lee is your verdict is back this year. All you have to do is pick one NRL winner each week for the chance to win $2,500. Head to sensurvivor.com.au. All thanks to Bryden's Lawyers. Make it look easy with Sportsbet. Chances are you're about to lose. Morning, Nick. Morning, boys. Uh, how are you? It's a rainy Tuesday in Sydney, isn't it? Yeah, very rainy. A little bit of relief from that humidity yesterday. It was a tough day yesterday. How'd you get through it? <laughs> uh, a little swim. Uh, we've got a little, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not a blow up, but a... Uh, pretend to fake the poor man's pool out the back here with the kids. So uh, uh, we had a bit of a swim in the afternoon and I spent lunch in the pub uh, and uh, just working on the website, mate. So uh, we got there eventually, but uh, it was a long day nonetheless. There you go, listeners. Plenty of pool time and air conditioning. That's how you get through a humid day here in Sydney. Hey, our Super Bowl is just around the corner, Nick. Uh, Any weird and wacky bets that we can put on for that one? Well, absolutely. If you head to your Sportsbet app, there is a uh, Super Bowl novelties novelties section. Uh, Taylor Swift obviously uh, uh, dates the tight end Travis Kelsey for the Chiefs, and you can bet on whether or not there's going to be a proposal at the game. So you can get $10 about there being a proposal, and if you're a bit of a pessimist, you can take the six on no. I don't know what your thoughts are there, but the one that I didn't mind was... Uh, you can talk about commentary booth bingo. Now, this is where the commentators aired on Channel 7 in Australia have to mention specific songs that Taylor Swift has written. The one I didn't mind was Shake It Off at $1.40. Yeah, that's pretty like That's, a, that's an easy a way one to work to in. That term into the game somewhere. Surely, Shake It Off gets a mention somewhere. Someone gets knocked down, gets sacked, the quarterback gets sacked. Oh, he got up. He just. Shake it off, something like that. What I'm trying to think of some of our other songs that they could work in. Like, what, what, what is, is like love story? MC, what, what's your know. favorite Taylor Swift song? I don't, know. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> I don't. I know. I know plenty of Taylor Swift. Nick, what songs, are the other songs in the in the market? Do we have any Taylor Swift songs? Well, oh, he's gone. Nick's not with us. Well, we have to play some Taylor Swift songs. I'm back here. I'm back oh, here. He's back here. He is. What are some other, What are some I'm, other Taylor Swift songs that it could be in the market for commentary? What's that, sorry? What were some other Taylor Swift options, the songs that could be in the market? So there was Shake It Off was $1.40. Is there anything else? Yes, yeah, Style, $1.27. Bad Blood, $1.33. You'd have to think that one. gets a go. Karma at $1.50. Wildest Dreams, $1.75. Surely, whichever team wins, particularly if it's the Chiefs. They'll talk about Wildest Dreams there. So They're all pretty uh, short odds. Are there any long odds? What's that, sorry? They're all pretty short odds. Is there anything long? Any songs that are long odds uh, to get mentioned? The, the rank out, the rank outsider is Lavender Hayes at the eight dollars fifty. You'd have to be a genius commentator to get that one into the uh, into the game, wouldn't you? So, hey, what about the halftime show, boys? Uh, My way is expected to be the, the first song played at two dollars. Of course, I think that was Calvin Harris wrote the song about Taylor Swift when they were 
or just after they finished dating. OMG, $2.50, yeah, at $5. And DJ got us falling in love at $8.50. So... So I'm guessing. What about, what about I'm guessing That's it must favorite. be. So it's Usher, is it? That's it's been Usher, named. Yeah. So Usher's halftime. That's pretty good. Yeah. Confessions yeah. is half after. Confessions is the banger. Do we know if he's going to bring out any? Uh, Twenty-one dollars part two. Oh. Twenty-one. Mm. It's not really family friendly, mm. I guess. But yeah, it is. <laughs> Cheating. You might yeah. upset a few people if they play that one. Well, so, can we play that for the um, We've got a few other markets there, boys. But just head to your sports bet app and. Check it out. There's a bit of fun to be had. So it's not all about the game. If you're not a Chiefs or a Niners supporter, there's still a couple of bets that you can have that might keep you entertained throughout the game. And it is always a long game, isn't it? Yes, it is a long game. Three hours worth usually, maybe a bit more. All right, thanks for joining us, Nick. Love your work. Thanks, boys. Talk soon. Make it look easy with Sportsbet. Chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Now, we're talking about middles. For the mm. Bulldogs MC. Jack's texture and said, G'day, Miss. A bit of mail at Parramatta. Their backup front row Makatoa is off to the Bulldogs. Has MC heard about this? I uh, haven't. Is there a late signing in, to be announced for the Eels in the next fortnight? I haven't heard that, but I'm doing some homework today. Makes sense. Yeah. The Eels are pretty stacked for middles, right? And the Dogs de- are desperate to add someone. Um, I wouldn't have minded Wiramu Greg. Mm, yeah, he goes good. Goes really yeah, good. good. Morning, boys. Uh, word was Alamotti is being converted to a second row at Penrith. Thoughts, says Matt from Penrith. I'd like to still see him. He's so young. And, we, you know, he was a, a prodigy coming through the grade. So I'd like to see him spend a bit more time at centre. But He's can big you enough. coach speed? Because that was where he yeah. was lacking badly in mm. defence. He was getting stood up weekly yeah. from speedy opposition centres. Yeah. We'll see what a different system brings him True. as well. True. Uh, Randy says, Dean Hawkins, captain South's reserve grade to a premiership last year, I think was named player of the season. He absolutely deserves a crack at South starting halfback if Ilias isn't getting it done. Yeah, good point, Randy. He's been there for a couple of years now, filled in through injury and um, origin and in the origin period when Cody Walker was playing and stuff like that. So potentially, um, but I'd say the first shift may be Jack Wyden. Okay. Well, I rate it, Randy. Uh, a reminder, you can win weekly prizes and a major prize of an NRL grand final experience thanks to the brand of hot water that comes on steady, hot and strong. Ream, visit nrltipping.sen.com.au. News up next, and then we'll be back with all the big sport headlines of the morning. Thanks, Vanessa. Breakfast is powered by Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. If you're just waking up, here's some of what's making news. Courier Mail is reporting that Ezra Mam has agreed to terms on a $3 million plus extension, keeping him at the Broncos until at least the end of 2028, beating the likes of the Dolphins for his signature. Was it just the Dolphins? I, I think it came down to that when uh, Ezra sort of decided that, that he didn't want to leave Queensland. What would the Dolphins have been offering Ezra? Oh. Mill? Yeah. To partner Katoa? Katoa? Mm. That's suddenly a pretty good-looking spine. Yeah. Marshall King, Katoa, Hammer up the back. Yeah, Speedy. Ooh, Speedy. Yeah. I like Marshall the Dolphins' King. chances this year. Marshall King, most improved player in the competition over the last 24 months. Yeah. He did that article at the beginning of last year saying he wanted to be a top five, five yeah. or top three, whatever it was, hooker. Yeah. I, I laughed at it because yeah. he'd been at the Bulldogs for the previous four or five seasons. 
But Wayne Bennett gets the best out of his players, he's, and Marshall King was amazing. His last season, back half of the last season at Canterbury, was decent. All right, yeah. Before that, was horrid. Horrid. I didn't think it was a first grader. Now he's, you could... Gone. Speak to, uh, you know, he's played for the Kiwis, and you could say, yeah, he's one of the most improved players in the competition. Yeah, I agree. Tough day for Manly players at the Coronial Inquest yesterday into the death of their former teammate, Keith Titmus. The inquest was told yesterday that he was suffering from heat stroke when he collapsed at training and later died. In cricket news, New Zealand superstar Rachin Ravindra has continued his meteoric rise, scoring a double century in the first test against South Africa. He became the fourth Kiwi player to convert his maiden century into a double ton. His final score of 240 is the highest maiden century for a New Zealander. Here's Brant Bowling, and uh, Ravindra's onto the back foot. He's called the ball through. And 200 for Rashan Ravindra, running on the shot as he hits the ball to cover. He removes his helmet, raises his bat, and the crowd here at the Bay Oval salute Rashan Ravindra. 200 not out. The third or fourth New Zealander to turn his maiden test century into a double century, joining Martin Donnelly, Devin Conway, and Matthew Sinclair in that exclusive club. A quite wonderful innings. It's going to be super interesting to see he, how he goes against that all-star mm. Australian bowling lineup. Mm, if he that, can ton up against them, then yeah, they've that, got a star on their hands. Because a, a genuine B-side, C-side even. Yeah, D-side, pretty poor. It was on the TV behind us just before. I think he's got over five hundred runs in that innings, yeah. New Zealand. So, yeah. Uh, reminder: the SEN commentary team are back in action from two p.m. this afternoon for the third one-day international between Australia and the West Indies. We're here for Brighton's Lawyers. Unable to work due to injury or illness, contact Brighton's Lawyers. In just a moment, we'll take a closer look at this issue we brought up yesterday. The lack of grand finals for junior rugby league clubs. Uh, plenty of feedback from the text line yesterday, so we're going to address that right after this. Welcome back to Summer Breakfast with James Magnuson and Michael Karianis. And over the weekend, and, and we spoke about this in detail yesterday, Missile, regarding the NRL's decision to enforce junior rugby league associations to ban grand finals and to under 13s mm. and to um, have a, a, a program where they don't tackle until midway through under sevens. Some associations are, have pulled back, have pushed back against this, but they've been warned that it is the rules of the game. So it is mandatory. And if they don't implement these decisions, uh, they'll no longer be sanctioned by the New South Wales or the NRL. Mm. New South Wales Rugby League or the NRL. MacArthur will go to a, a crucial vote tomorrow night to decide if they're going to try and implement it. St. George have hesitations. Parramatta said, yeah, we'll implement it as long as the rest of Sydney does. Um, we had our say yesterday. I'm quite comfortable with the no tackling. I think it's a, a, a fair concept to, to get the kids in. Um, no pressure, no expectation learn the game, develop great tackle technique, and by midway through under seven, so it's not that long mm. that they get an opportunity to, to tackle. Our issue was with no grand finals until the age of 13. Correct. Uh, we've got an expert on the line, a parenting expert and host and host of Happy Families, the number one parenting podcast in Australia, Justin, Dr. Justin Coulson. Justin, thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah, good to be with you, gentlemen. So talk us through from your expert um, analysis, your, your views on this mandate by the NRL to ban grand finals until under-13s? Okay, so there's a couple of things here. And, and I'm listening to your intro, and it's kind of my, my shoulders are getting a little bit tense as I listen because 
people have huge opinions about this stuff without any consideration of what evidence says. We, we tend to jump to opinions pretty quick. We get pretty set in our ways, and we don't like it when anyone pushes against the status quo. I, I agree with you on the tackling. I think that's really important. In terms, of the, in, in terms of the final stuff, though, this is where it gets really, really interesting. Like, the, the standard response from most people will probably be something like, well, kids just need to toughen up, and uh, the world is competitive, and the sooner they get used to it, the better they'll be. And I, I did it when I was a kid, and I turned out fine. That's the standard response. From a psychological perspective, developmentally, we've actually got pretty good research that highlights that in younger years, Competition is not really good for kids. Um, and what I mean by that is there's this stage in a sort of childhood development where we go through something that's called concrete operational thinking. What that basically means is the world is black and white and kids really do just take on whatever the world gives them as gospel. We tend to grow out of that by the time we get somewhere around 12, 13, 14 years of age. In other words, we move from this concrete way of thinking to what's known as formal operational thinking. I know a whole lot of psychological babble here, but basically we get used to the idea that you can win and still be a bad person or you can lose and still be a good person and that your identity isn't uh, intertwined perfectly with the outcomes that you're getting. Essentially what I'm getting at here is that there's a whole lot of studies that show that competition for kids under about the age of 12 to 14 is really, really hard for them cognitively. It's hard for them from an identity perspective. It's not in their best interests. And what we should be doing in those earlier years up to, I'm gonna say the first or second year of high school, around grade seven, grade eight, is focusing on building two things and two things only. Number one, building relationships. Because when kids are involved in sport where their friends are, they like it more. And number two, we should be focusing on building competence, helping kids to make progress. Because when they build competence and they feel like they're progressing in their skill development, their mastery of the, of the sport, of the discipline, they like it more, which means that they're more likely to stay in it and keep going year on year on year. What competition does is it turns relationships from collaborative into competitive, and we see everyone as a combatant, and it punishes those who are incompetent and elevates those who are competent. And often, the main reason that kids are more competent than other kids is because of when they were born in the year, that is, they're 12 months older than the youngest kids on the field, uh, and it has nothing to do with their actual uh, potential in that sport. It's just that they had an extra year to practice because they were born on July 1 and the other kid was born on July 30, so one kid got in and one kid didn't, and so they were up a, up a, up a year or down a year. We're joined by Dr. Justin Coulson, parenting expert and host of the Happy Families podcast, number one parenting podcast in Australia. Justin, interestingly, with what you said there around sport and, and identity and maybe them identifying themselves as either a winner or a loser, can I take you away from the sporting field for a second then? If, if this is a developmental phase and they're taking identity from results, should we not be scoring tests at school or giving grades at school if i'm a d student when i'm 11 or 12 years old do i then identify as dumb and therefore can't break that mold as as i i guess mature mentally i wish that uh, the education department was listening right now because that's exactly exactly what we should be moving to if we had a competency-based school system especially in those younger years what we would be doing is we would be saying to kids, hey, you know what, you're struggling with this, but rather than giving you a report card that says you're dumb or giving you a, a band 
a low band on NAPLAN rather than a high band, what we're going to do is we're going to highlight that you still just need to do a bit of work. You're not quite confident yet. Uh, when I was a university lecturer, uh, probably a, a, more than a decade ago now, I used to say to my students in their university courses, you can resubmit this as many times as you want because my job is not to grade you on an assessment. My job is to teach you psychology. And what I wanted to do was to help them to become competent in their psychological discipline in, in the learning of psychology. Uh, unfortunately, we have a school system and a sporting system and a society that is built on something other than that, built on this idea of competition and evaluation. And, and, and make no mistake, this stuff is important. Competition and evaluation does matter. But it doesn't matter in those early years because those early years are where we start to build our identity, we start to build our beliefs about what we can and can't do, whether we're capable or not, whether we can become competent, whether we can develop mastery. And every time we smash some kid and say, guess what, you lost four games in a row, you're off the team. Or guess, I, I mean, sorry, let me, I, I, I care about this so much. I've got six of my own kids and I've watched it happen to them. Look at what Cricket Australia did a few years ago when they said, we're going to bring the boundaries in, we're going to shorten the pitch, we're going to soften the ball, we're going to make sure that kids can bat. Uh, they face 30 deliveries. They can get out 30 times or they can hit 36. It doesn't matter. 30 deliveries and then they're done. They removed the competitive aspects to it. And what happened was parents were up in arms and cricket clubs were up in arms saying, oh, we're mildly coddling our kids, we're cotton wooling our kids. But at the end of the season, after they ran this in junior cricket, what they found was that the kids actually liked cricket more and attrition rates dropped the kids wanted to sign up again next year why because they were building relationships and they were building competence from my perspective the nrl is not going far enough with what they've done mm. okay can i can i approach it from a different perspective a different sport so I, I come from swimming justin and swimming is pretty hard to take competition out of it because basically you touch the wall first and you know where you've finished now, you spoke about kids that were maybe bigger as young kids and therefore it's not necessarily a skill set but a size aspect that creates success at a younger level. Uh, I was a big kid and I subsequently I now am, I'm, a, I'm a big adult. <laughs> and that meant that I was good at swimming as a young kid and my passion and fire for the sport of swimming came from quite honestly, winning. That rush, that thrill that I got of winning. I, I, I remember back to my first school swimming carnival at nine years of age, winning in my first race. Guess what I did after I won that first race? I went and signed up at the local swimming club. From that day on, I was then a swimmer and that was part of my identity. I was a big kid. I won the race. I was a big adult. I won the world championships. What would you say to to that aspect of competition from an individual sport where really competition is quite cut and dry? So competition for winners builds what we call the basic psychological need of competence. That is, all of us want to feel good. We all want to feel competent. We want to feel capable. We want to feel like we can master whatever it is that we're doing. So as a nine-year-old, you have this competence-building experience where you say, wow, I did this, I did it really well, I did it at a level that's different to everybody else. So the competition magnified that for you. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm in and I need to do more of this because I want more of that feeling. That's completely uh, in line with what psychological theory would predict. Yeah. And therefore, for the winners, competition can be wonderfully uh, supportive. It can be wonderfully enhancing. There's two challenges that we have with young kids around this. Number one, there's a whole lot of losers 
Okay, so your, your feeling good came at the price of everyone else feeling bad, potentially, depending on how important it was to them. Uh, and, and I know that some people might so, sort of say, oh, this is some sort of um, let the cry on your pillow, get out of the violins kind of thing. But realistically, who knows how many other kids were in that race who had the potential as they got older to develop into incredible swimmers. But because they failed, we missed out on discovering their potential. There could have been another world champion in the pool with you that day, James. We just will never know. The second thing, though, and I think this is the critical thing, we've got some really clever research that's come out of the UK and the US that highlights that for kids who are winning, that is, they're feeling competent, as nine-year-olds, that's great. But suddenly you turn 12 or suddenly you turn 14, and there's going to come a point where you're not winning anymore. Now, in your case, that didn't happen so often. And you had, I guess, the mental fortitude, the resilience, whatever it was, to push through the times where you weren't winning and keep at it. But there's plenty of people who don't keep winning. They come up against the James Magnusons of the world. And too many of them, unfortunately, will drop out. And the reason they'll drop out is because their identity is tied to the fact that they win. When they're no longer winning, we see them buckle under the pressure. There's that resilience thing again. Yep. Uh, we, we hear horror stories right up to and including uh, the death of people who die at their own hand because the pressure to accomplish that level and stay at that level to fulfill their potential to achieve the promise becomes too great which is just so devastating all right well thank you for joining us justin it's a really interesting perspective you've given us uh from a different uh field of of expertise and we've loved having you on uh, that's dr justin coulson parenting expert and host of happy family so you can catch him on the happy families podcast which is the number one parenting podcast in australia thanks justin